Happy Sunday, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me, of course, is Dr. Chris Garneau. So, Dr. Garneau, where shall we start this week? Oh, I suppose we could stop in and, and uh, look at some social media news. It's been, uh, I guess, it's been all over my news feed and all over CNN. So it started... I think it was earlier this week. I'm trying to remember. Um, the president tweets, as he does at 4 a.m. in his bathrobe or wherever, you know, at any time, who knows, um, tweets out something about mail-in voting and the connection between voter fraud and mail-in ballots and this kind of stuff. Because, I mean, he's been talking about this stuff forever. And, and I know we mentioned on the show before that it, in general, Republicans do better if fewer people vote. So I think Trump's uh, calculus here is if you can stop mail-in voting, then you can cut down the number of voters, which means uh, he will have a better chance of winning re-election. So it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure it out. In fact, he even said it himself. You know, um, if if more people vote, Republicans can't win. So we we know he's already thinking this, but he is trying to project this narrative that voter fraud, either by you know dead people voting or people voting twice or uh, undocumented uh, immigrants voting, you know, whatever it happens to be, that that's, that's where the voting fraud is going to come from. And so he says that the tweet, basically the, the whole thing is Twitter has a policy where if there's something that is, you know, seen as overly false, they will, I, I don't think they removed the tweet, but they did put a little fact check thing on there. Um, and so that's what he was all up in arms about. Did, it, did I get the story right as far as what you heard, Kelly? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he, absolutely. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't remove his tweet, though, right? No. Well, they did remove it, and then they put it back. Um, but but the, like the main, well, they didn't they didn't remove those tweets, the ones, the disingenuous ones about the vote about the voter fraud, which I thought was really weird, and I want to get more into. But the one that they flagged was the one where he was talking about when the looting starts, the shooting starts. That's the one they were like, okay, that's it, we're taking this down. That's okay. You you just totally caught me off guard. Tell me about that one, and I'll have to look it up. How long ago was this? Today, this it happened uh, like this morning or overnight. You know, I don't know. Probably one of his one of his many midnight snack, you know, ventures. There, uh, okay, yeah. Looking. He 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 put this um, this crazy tweet out, and it was basically talking about how he was not going to allow the memory of George Floyd to be ruined by thugs. Of course, these thugs. That that's how it started, um, yeah. and ended with you know he's gonna he's gonna do everything in his power, you know whatever needs to be done and it ended when the looting shark when the looting starts the shooting starts and twitter was like nope that promotes violence and you know whatever and they they took they took it off and then and now he's like well we gotta we they're you know interfering with free speech and it's it's really crazy. And now Mark Zuckerberg has come out saying, well, you know, social media platforms shouldn't be censoring anybody or fact checking anybody. And it's like, look, Zuckerberg. Yeah, that guy, he's 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 always kind of been on that train. I just looked it up. So now I, I'm, I'm with you. 
I've been doing gardening all day, so I haven't checked the news. <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> yeah, and, and good. So you're you're good and uh, you're good and like frustrated and and like can see that side of it because it is it is a crazy making thing that Trump thinks that he like Twitter's a private company. If he, if somebody tried to tell him anything about Trump Enterprises, he won't even divest from it. Right. Like like he's constitutionally well, supposed to do. And okay, now he's trying to tell another private company what they what they can and can't implement in their policies. That's that's the, the weird part about it is he thought he could do this by executive order. So this is before he put this is before Twitter um, removed the, 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 the tweet that they thought was inciting violence and caught up here. So essentially, uh, Trump gets mad because Twitter fact checks him. Then he sends an executive order, uh, basically reminding people of this, this you know, um, one one law that was passed back in the '90s, something like that. Um, basically saying that um, social media companies are not, or internet websites are not, to blame for the content that is put on their whatever. So, but as you're saying, to get to your point, yes. That's fine, and that may that may be true. Twitter is not liable for things that are said on on Twitter, but they, as a private company, as a private entity, can choose to have what they want or what they don't want uh, in terms of content. I mean, the same way that you that you do as well, right? So you could choose uh, on your website uh, if there's something that uh, that was added or something that you didn't want on there, you could take it off. You can request that certain things not be broadcast on, on your particular station. So I think when it comes to media, that has to be up to the organization that's operating that media platform, whether it's, you know, radio or social media or print newspaper even. Okay, so let's talk about this crazy double-edged dichotomy that we see with censorship and free speech. Because it seems like, on one hand, it's like we want to say whatever we want and not be held accountable if people go and start taking hydrochloroquine or if they start ingesting bleach yeah. or, hey, you know what? Free speech. Free speech allows me to do that. But then on the other side, when it's like, hey, that's interfering with public health and we already have people who aren't discerning to not know better. We, we need, as right. a private company, we have a, a duty to public health, to the greater good, to, to, what, to whatever that company's policy is. They have that right to say that. And so he can't, he can't say First Amendment and then turn around and try to censor somebody. And, and by the way, this is, this is a, you know, we're dealing with it with social media because it happens quickly. And it happens in real time. But this has been happening as long as we've had newspapers and letters to the editor because you'll have people write opinion pieces and the editor will have to kind of decide if that opinion piece first is going to go out. And then if it does go out, editors have of, of a newspaper or magazine have the ability to respond. And it's the same for academic journals. And that is actually the responsibility of the editor to, how would we want to say it, um, manage all of the content of that publication, whatever it happens to be. So if we think about Twitter as a publication, the execs at Twitter have to figure out what they want. And when it came to fact-checking, they can say, you know what, we'll let some crazy stuff fly. But when the president does it, and I think, and yes, they're right, they are singling out the president, 
but they should single out the president and other highly influential people in flagging for for fact checking because that is really important for other people's you know for the message that we get so you know trump says something about mail-in voting being fraudulent and of course most people who have studied this know that's not the case uh i think twitter is justified in doing that they're not stopping him from saying it they're just saying look this is something that's potentially misleading for a lot of people let's make sure that you know on on our platform our social media platform we want to make sure that 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 doesn't go unchecked now zuckerberg could care less facebook's probably not going to get into that or do much with it um but for twitter they have they have that ability and i think that is their you know we have freedom of speech and i don't think they're censoring i think what they're doing is managing their company for quality control now Let's get to the the second tweet, and I just got caught up with it, but I think I, I see enough that I can, you know, be able to weigh in on it. So when he says looting, and then he says shooting, so obviously he's trying to be clever here, but the problem is it re- relates to a lot of ambiguity. So who is shooting? So they can be taken different ways. Are the looters going to be shooting, or does this mean that the cops should be shooting looters, or does this mean that citizens should be shooting looters? And I think it's that ambiguity and that dangerous rhetoric coming from the president that rightfully so Twitter decided to act on that because who knows what he's talking about. And there are nuts out there who could take that a lot of different ways. That is true. And okay, so I'm shocked that Trump hasn't been flagged for this before. But this kind of like this little feud between him and Twitter, it's been escalating. It's kind of been like um, kind of boiling under the surface a little bit. Like he's really been kind of pushing the envelope with these social media platforms. And now that he's kind of openly come out and started criticizing Twitter, now they're like, oh, really? Well, now we're going to say that you can't say all this hateful rhetoric. And I'm surprised that he hasn't been flagged for hate speech. And, you know, I'm surprised this hasn't happened before, but I feel like it's happening because because he started criticizing Twitter in the first place. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. We're a private company and you really can't do anything because we have congressional protection. Right. And and they're, they're acting in, uh, they are probably retaliating in some ways, although that is so inflammatory, what he said, uh, you know, what he said today or what he tweeted today that I, uh, you know, I'm not not at all surprised that Twitter took action, especially what was happening uh, was earlier this week. But I think it's you know this guy needs to be checked. And and he's here's the problem he has with the media. And I think he's liked Twitter because he doesn't see Twitter as the media to him. The media is like mainstream media, CNN and MSNBC and whatnot. Um, so when they fact check and he gets really mad and he's like, why don't you ever say the good things that I do? And they're like, that's not our job. And that is true. It has never been the job of the media of any form to have to raise the flag and rah-rah for the leader, whoever it is. And you know what? The, the media, they were a little easier on Obama, but Obama was a really different president. And there were times that the media got testy with Obama and he got testy back. So I don't like, I, I, I love how Bill Maher calls uh, Donald Trump the, the whiner in chief. I've never seen a guy so whiny about media before. They're picking on me. They're unfair. And you hear supporters say that too. Oh, poor Mr. Trump. They're, they're picking on him. No, you know, Grossi's fine. 
if you're if you're the the the, the leader, the commander in chief, and the leader of the free world, your job is to have your feet held to the fire. And I I, I personally think that he has a higher responsibility than other Twitter users if he's going to be using that social media because what he says is way more consequential than anything I could say. Okay, so speaking of that in CNN, um, what do you think about that CNN reporter getting arrested there on the ground? Because I think that that's very telling, and I think that's really the next step in Trump's rhetoric that he has with, I guess, his his war on the media or his war with the media. Um, you know, I think that especially when you're looking at places that historically are Trump's, that, that Trump won— you know, and would probably largely support him there. Um, you know, th- I think that that's a really dangerous thing to start to start arresting journalists. Oh, that's like, you know, everyone was a little bit concerned when he started talking about the media the way he did. And then at some point, a couple years back, he uh, vocalized and identified the media as the enemy of the people. And that is what really red flagged his antipathy for the media to a lot of, a lot of people in, you know, in journalism, but also in political science and whatnot. Um, When they, you know, when someone says that, that's almost revealing some autocratic kinds of tendencies because it means that this individual wants to be able to act freely without accountability. So, Congress can Congress has the ability to check the president, but you know, really only through impeachment, and we saw how that worked. Um, but when it comes to the day to day, like if you think about how individuals get information about that office or are going to get reliable, you know, fact checking when it comes to what the president's doing, it really is the media. And the media has he's created the biggest job for the media because it's, and it's a double-sided coin. Trump can play the media like a fiddle when he wants. The reason he didn't have to spend any money at all, hardly any money during the 2016 campaign is because he was on TV every day. And all he had to do is go on TV and say the most wildly racist inflammatory thing that he could think of that he could, you know, possibly deny as being racist. And the, the cameras were like mesmerized. Like we've got to get this guy on, on camera. And it's kind of true. If you're a media company, you've got to cover the news of the day, and the president is always going to be the news of the day. So he's like, he has this ability to to bring the media to his back and call, but at the same time, he also gets really frustrated with them. So the media, in some ways, helps make his campaign and his presidency, and at the same time, it's also one of his points of greatest frustration. So, uh, yeah, it just shows to me that he does have these autocratic tendencies to, to suggest that he can shut down whatever media sites he wants, websites he doesn't like, you know, social media he doesn't like. He's talked about how maybe we shouldn't have, maybe the state should be able to control media. I mean, really kind of creepy things. Yeah, and what really kind of started this thing with Twitter, I think, was the whole Joe Scarborough thing, where he, where Trump was insinuating that uh, Joe Scarborough murdered this intern. And what had happened was she'd had a heart issue. She fell and hit her head um, in in his office. And the lady's husband came out and wrote a letter to Twitter and said, you know, Trump is 
taking my wife's memory and using it for political gain and all this kind of stuff. So I really think that that's, that's where it kicked off. Um, the whole like Twitter feud where Twitter was like, okay, man, this, that's just enough. And then with yeah. the whole, with the whole completely disingenuous thing about voter fraud. And that's something that I really want to talk about too, is, I mean, why is that such a hot button issue when we have so few people who are registered to vote and who actually participate in voting? Why is all of a sudden think- mail-in ballots going to, um, you know, incite some kind of fraudulent criminal wave across the country that's hell bent on just getting Trump out. I think it it, it serves two purposes. If he can get rid of the mail-in balloting, it does help him. But the other thing, too, is when he says voter fraud, I I think voter fraud for a lot of people used to mean like dead people voting twice. You know, things that happen in Chicago, if you look at, um, if you look at, local politics. Chicago's one of the worst. And, and and they're a highly democratic town, but they were very corrupt. Like, you know, there were people, dead people voting twice and all that kind of stuff. And and it but it's not systemic. Like meaning at a national level, there's no evidence that, that stuff happens on a regular basis. What voting fraud means now, and this is what I think it, it what happened to Trump. I think what voting fraud means now is the dog whistle to his base that basically says in his words, illegal immigrants. And it, it's also racialized. I think it's meant to invoke thoughts of Latin American people who sneak across the border who then can mail in ballot because there's no way to check whether or not. But there's no, but the problem with that is like there's no way to get a ballot if you're not registered to vote. Yeah. So, like, the, the, the people who are supporting him or the people he's dog whistling to, that I don't think that matters to them. I think they hear voter fraud and they, they remember him saying there were three million illegal immigrants that voted in this election, which is ridiculous. Uh, it, and so I, I think that's honestly in some ways a political ploy to get people, his base, to feel sorry for him and then to get them all ramped up and upset. So basically it boils down to the hardcore white folks not wanting to be overtaken by the brown folk in any kind of representation on city councils and state congress and national seats, you know. Yeah, it does play into, I think it plays into the kind of the the white, uh, the working class white hostility or you know, sometimes they call it disenfranchisement. There hasn't really been disenfranchisement. It's just been um, kind of the kind of the, those those fires that have been stoked by Trump pretty successfully, um, which honestly is pretty good transition into the other thing I wanted to talk about. And, and we didn't uh, get a chance to talk about it last week because it happened since then. But um, the riots in Minneapolis, which uh, it, it this is kind of fascinating to me. I grew up not too far from Minneapolis across the border there in North Dakota. Um, Minneapolis is a, just to let everyone know, it's a really, really hip town. I mean, it's very cold, um, but it, it's very progressive, very liberal. Um, it, it is white. In, in terms of cities that have a, a metro area of over a million people, it's pretty, like, way more white than Oklahoma. Um, but there is, a, you know, a smaller minority uh, population that, you know, like in any major city tends to be segregated into one area. And so Minneapolis has had, you know, racial and ethnic tension for a long time. It started with Polish immigrants and Swedish immigrants um, and, you know, more recently uh, Latin American immigrants. 
but you know there's been a, a, a smaller but substantial uh, African American sized community in you know in the city of Minneapolis, um, and we're starting to see even in the Midwest, you know, you, you get it, get into different parts of the country. The first time I've seen this happen in my neck of the woods in the north, but we're starting to see the, the racial antipathy picking up everywhere. Um, so that I, I believe his name is George Floyd was uh, murdered. I, there's no other way to say it uh, by a police officer in Minneapolis. It's been all over the news. If you you know looked at it at all, you've seen the picture. They got a picture of it. The guy said he couldn't breathe. It was almost like Eric Garner all over again. Um, and the police officer uh, had no in, no inclination to, to to release himself. He was on top of the guy's neck, had his knee on top of the guy's neck, and he died. So it was a, it was a murder, and the Minneapolis Police Department responded by firing him, and I believe the three other officers that were on the scene at the time that did not bother to stop him. But there are no criminal charges filed, as far as I know, the last that I checked. So Minneapolis and Lake Street, which is one of the big uh, business sides of Minneapolis, is on fire. It has been on fire for the past couple of days, and there's been a lot of rioting. And here's what here's what I see, Kelly, from my from my family and friends back home, who have been in primarily white bubbles their entire lives. They keep coming back with, "Well, yeah, this is this was a really really bad thing, but rioting doesn't make it any better. This isn't helping anybody." And you know, I'm I'm certainly not advocating for rioting, but what I don't hear is like the call for justice above like, like it's pushing the blame directly on the looters instead of talking about what the issue that's this most important at hand, which is that police brutality is still a concern that we've not been able to get past. And I don't know, it's, it's weird. And, and, but I can see how this happens in Minneapolis, a place where a lot of people live in a white bubble. Well, and that's one of the things. I mean, you it was obvious he was digging into that guy's neck. Like yeah. the the fact that he had his hands in his pockets and the fact that he had three other law enforcement officers there. Um somebody could have said some and the fact that that he had bystanders, multiple bystanders filming this and and did not react to that whatsoever like was looking those cameras in the face like Looking him right in the eye, like, so what? Yeah, you see me doing this, and I feel like I can do this. And, you know, Thomas and I have a difference of opinion on looting and, and what it actually means. Like, And it's like I said, I'm, I'm really on the fence. Like, I understand burning down that Minneapolis precinct more than I understand, like, looting, like like taking right. the resources and and I get the side of it like hey they're gonna sell that and they're gonna put food on their table I, I get that but where where is that line to where and I again I understand writing I understand protesting and it's like I said protesting institutional systemic racism all for it if if we got to burn down the police station with you know after the governor's already ordered all the cops out you, you know what i mean yep. I, I i can understand that but what i don't understand is looting and and i think when it gets to that point it does become detrimental to what you're trying to accomplish uh, no, I, I agree. And here, here's how I, I kind of echo the same things that you're saying without a pacifist and against violence in general. I think peaceful protest is definitely 
called for. I think it's, you know, that, and, and I, to be honest, I think that's the majority of what's been going on. So, you know, I, I saw a video of street, in the streets, a lot of people in Minneapolis who were peacefully protesting. They had signs up, they were walking, they were chanting Black Lives Matter, I can't breathe. Um, those are, I think, are effective ways of doing it. Um, when it comes to rioting, I, you know, even rioting, um, I don't know that it's helpful uh, if it's causing violence. And when it comes to looting, you're really just taking taking money away from the, you know, the, the pockets of local business owners, a lot of whom are real small business owners who are just trying to keep their businesses going. And that is just, I think, in some ways capitalizing on the chaos because it's easier to commit acts of looting, which, by the way, happens during tornadoes. I was told when the tornado hit more in 2013 that people were nervous about their homes being broken into because all the police are being called into one area, right? Yeah. So that's kind of a criminal, that's kind of a criminal justice issue. I, I totally agree. I think that's uncalled for. And that, that, that has really nothing to do with what's going on um, within police brutality. But it's also, it's, this is what I do see. I, I see more conservative, more white individuals focused on the looting and the rioting. And yes, we can agree that that's not a good thing, but, but it's almost like a diversion from talking about what really happened here. Um, so we can talk about looting and rioting and that's fine. And saying that, you know, this is not an appropriate response, but that shouldn't be the end of the conversation. Like conversation still has to loop back around to police violence against African-American men specifically, um, but against people of color in general. And I, that's, that's the difference that I see. Um, most of my, my friends of color are really focused on that more so than the response, the rioting and the looting. When, and I think both deserve attention, but they're, they're kind of separate issues. And I, I think for a lot of, um, a lot of more of the, you know, the, Trump, you know, for example, what he was saying, he wants to point out, he wants to make sure that it, it's uh, pointed out that there's rioting and looting and that these are just, it, it, it brings in messages like Hillary Clinton had used at one point, like the super predators and these really, you know, kind of mean-spirited people. We don't know who's rioting. In fact, I, I saw a news article, it wasn't confirmed, but there was a guy who um, broke out a window to a, an auto parts shop uh, was white, and they think he might have been a cop. So this, there's also this narrative that's being put forward is that it's all people of color who are rioting and looting right now. We actually don't have any evidence that that's the truth. Wow. And, yeah, that officer uh, just a few hours ago was uh, charged with murder. That that killed. Oh, he was? Yeah, that, that, that murdered George Floyd. Yeah, that just happened uh, just earlier this afternoon, just a couple of hours ago. Okay. And so, but, but yeah. okay, so with our last couple of minutes, let me ask you this. Um, you know, the district attorney who's in charge of prosecuting this case was saying today on the news that, you know, we're going to perform our due diligence and we're not going to rush through anything, really kind of taking the stance of, hey, back off, we're going to do what we're going to do kind of thing. And because of the public out outcry and because of what has happened do you feel like these charges like it was swifter they had to move faster because of because that community's need for justice i think so and and that's almost like the mob mentality right like they want justice and um and and part of it is to to calm things down because the protests really were about like we need to see justice so if anything i think the mass of people protesting. Like I said before, I do approve of protesting. That's probably the result of that. Um, the rioting and the looting started later. The the burning started later. Um, and so it's, 
I, I, again, I, I think maybe that was the useful, um, the useful mechanism of, of peaceful protest is to try to bring justice around. And I'm glad to hear that. I hadn't caught that yet today, um, that they're going to do a full investigation. And, and that's, that's what should have been done. That's, that was the, that, that should have been the correct answer or the, the correct response at first. Um, but I, I certainly would not, or I, I would certainly say that communities of color are definitely justified in, in being upset right now and wanting to have a national conversation about these kinds of things. Yeah, and uh, gosh, there is so much to still talk about with that because we haven't even talked about this officer's record or the kills that he's had on duty in the past. He's killed an Indian man a few years ago and has had all manner of disciplinary issues. I think he has had 12 complaints, disciplinary complaints against him. And, I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and so there, there's there's a lot um, that, that we still need to talk about. And just like you said, continuing this conversation, I mean, this is why Colin Kaepernick was taking that knee. And it's crazy to me how people were so mad at him. and But there is no backlash for all of this crazy armed protesters for the stay-at-home orders. And that's, Correct. Yeah. you know, it, it's crazy to me. It's, it's, a, it's a weird double standard that definitely demonstrates that when it comes to race relations in the United States, we are not post-racial. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, so I think we need to keep those conversations going. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And thanks, listeners, for tuning in to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Dr. Chris Garneau. If you miss any of our conversations, all you got to do is check up on those wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to the Talk Jive homepage and click the podcast tab. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you back here next week. Have a great day, everyone.